Hello, I'm Roger Earl of the band Foghat, and you are listening to Life Minute TV. After seven years, rock and blues legends Foghat have dropped their brand new 17th studio album, Sonic Mojo, an eclectic blend of originals and iconic covers by some of their favorite musicians. Founding drummer the legendary Roger Earl stopped by the Life Minute Studios recently to tell us all about it, including what makes him continue to keep turning out the goods over and over again. Sonic Mojo can be had in CD, digital, and an awesome purple vinyl. And if you're lucky, you can catch them on tour right now. This is a Life Minute with Roger Earl. Roger Earl in the house. Woohoo! A legend. Johan? A legend in his own mind. No. <laughs> well, I love that you're so modest. Well, well I'm great. just grateful to be here, actually. We've lost just about everybody in the band, so they're all new except me. The good Lord hasn't seemed fit to take me just yet. I'm pleased about that. If he had something to do with it, thank you. If he didn't, thank you anyway. So I think we got that out of the way. Amazing. How are you doing? Doing great, actually. Life has been very kind to me. The band's doing great. We're having tons of fun. Everything's sort of slowed down a little bit now. Not really, because I'm playing, when I'm playing Thursday somewhere in uh, Jimmy, Indiana. No, Gary, Indiana, sorry. There's no, is there a Jimmy, Indiana? No, I didn't know there was a Gary in Indiana. <laughs> no, Gary's in Indiana, so's Jimmy. There's probably got a few Jimmys there, but we're playing in Gary. Uh, Sonic Mojo. Yes. Which is fantastic. We were really pleased with it. it record we have our own studio down in Deland, Florida. And we usually go down there January, February, March, you know, because Long Island gets a little chilly then. It's really comfortable. There's no red lights. We, it's basically we play in our living room. And our resident genius is Brian Bassett. He's our lead and slide guitar player. He's also our engineer and producer. Everything's done in-house. My girlfriend and my wife are really, really bright. Trouble is, my manager's taken over now, so I don't have them anymore. She's sad, really. Maybe we can have a date tonight. What do you think, darling? I love how you call her your girlfriend and your wife. Yes, yeah, they're that? three in one. Why is that? They're the Holy Trinity. Girlfriend, wife, and manager. I know how fortunate I am. Actually, Linda and I have been friends since 1976, and about 26 years ago. Actually, no, tomorrow is our anniversary when oh. I thought I'd ruined a perfectly good relationship. <laughs> but it was probably one of the best moves I'd made in my life. <laughs> What's your secret to, to keeping together? What are some tips for us? We really like each other. There's three guys in the band that are my best friends, and also our percussionist, who's also my drum tech. He's my best friend, too. Aww. So is our guitar tech. He's one of my best friends. I've got a bunch of best friends, but <laughs> Linda is the holy trinity. <laughs> yeah, she's good. She's a keeper, I would say. Yeah, keep her around, yeah. Keep her around. So that's the secret, to have good friends. I yeah, I, I am fortunate. That I really do. I have a real bandmates. Scott Holt, our lead singer and guitar player, has been with us. Well, actually, I've known him since 2014. He's only actually been in the band two years. About seven years ago, I asked him to come out and join us because we were doing our record called Under the Influence. And we were about three songs short for a double album. And uh, Scott came down to our studio down in Florida. Instead of writing three, we wrote 17 songs. Typical musicians. One night after we were finishing up the album in Nashville, and our lead guitar player and slide player, Brian Bassett, after 
as a magic moment when you're drinking like two bottles of red wine, when they come together and like you transfer this one's down here and then this one gets opened of brilliance, I think. And Brian stood up on the board and said, Earl and the Agitators. So we put out another record. We gave that to our manager to do the artwork and make everything work, and she did. And then just over two years ago, our lead singer for 20 years decided he was retiring. He only gave us three days notice, which is kind of short, but I just figured, I don't think it would be easy to say you're retiring. And he's, what was he? He was 72, he's probably 70 something now. 74 now, isn't it? Yeah. The only reason I'd ever stop is if I couldn't play anymore. I've got band-aids all over me, mate. Band-aids here, 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 here. This one, there's a big band-aid on this one, big band-aid on that one. Uh, my clavicle's got a band-aid, my lower back has got two kyphoplasties. I really need to work on my big toe, but nobody can do anything about it. So I just suffer. No, I don't <laughs> suffer. No, you can, no you can, I play drums in a rock and roll band. I'm, I'm having the time of my life. So this album's seven years in the making since your last one. People say it's it's definitely a fog hat record. How how would you describe it? Well, yeah, it's got it's got our name on it, so it must yeah. be. What I'm I'm really excited about with this album is because I I came to the states the first time in '68 or '69. I was in a band called Savoy Brown. That was the first time I came. It felt like I was coming home. America, U.S. of A. is where it gives music to the world. Without you, there would be nothing. No blues, and the blues is a foundation of all contemporary music. Jazz comes next, and bebop, rock and roll, country, hillbilly music, folk music, uh, gospel music. This is the land of music. America gave music to the world, in my opinion. This is the land where all these beautiful mixtures and pieces of stuff from all over the world came here. And uh, we're part of that glue. And on this record, I think, it shows all those aspects of, you know, what we're uh, basically what the band's about or what the musicians are about. Scott Holt, uh, our lead and slight uh, guitar player, lead singer, he was with Buddy Guy for 10 years. You know he can play. Brian Bassett, our uh, lead and slide guitar player, who is also our producer and engineer. Now I'm the chief bottle washer. He's been with us for 27 years now. He was in a band called Wild Cherry in 1976, I think it was. Play that funky music, white boy. So he has a history too. A bass player. What's his name? I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's been with us um, eight years, I think, now. Rodney O'Quinn. He was handpicked by our previous bass player, Craig McGregor. That was, that was a sad day when we lost Craig. He was my brother in every sense of the word. We didn't always see eye to eye like brothers should, but we were really tight as musicians and as brothers. I mean, I loved a man as much as you can love a man and so keep things okay. <laughs> mm. But he did pick our bass player, so I'm grateful wow. for that. Thank you, Mac. Oh, that's nice. You've been through a lot, a lot of members, but you still play with that huge smile on your face. The passion is still there, the vigor's still there, the sound obviously is still there, it's amazing. Yeah, it's like, careful what you wish for. I, I started playing when I was, going back when I was 11 or 12. I would work three days a week after school, and on 
weekends on Saturdays, I would work in a bakery, and Saturday afternoons I'd take drum lessons. So I had my own money, but um, I was about 12 years old at the time, and I said, hey, Dad, I want to get a motorbike. And he said, well, I'm not helping you with that, son. I said, oh, you had one. He said, that's different. <laughs> so I said, well, I want to learn to play drums. He said, okay. And he was friends with a, a fantastic uh, drummer in southwest London. I started taking drum lessons, which was probably one of the better moves I made. I also wanted to play piano, but my older brother, Colin, who's four years older than me, was playing piano by this time, like the Jerry, in Jerry D. Lewis sort of mode, little Richard mode. Dad played piano as well. There was always music in our house, so actually I had a really cool childhood. I, don't, I know I didn't appreciate my parents anywhere near as much as I should. Sorry about that, Mum and Dad. Oh, they say that's okay. <laughs> Did they see uh, you become famous? Yeah, they, uh, actually that was, that was one of the highlights of my life actually. 1976, I think it was, 77, we did the blues show at the Palladium here in New York City. It was Foghat's tribute to the blues. We got to play with all our musical heroes like Johnny Hooker, Muddy Waters, beautiful man, Johnny Winter, Paul Butterfield. Willie Big Eyes Smith, it, the list sort of goes on. And it was pretty heady because here we are playing with our musical heroes. We were basically the ha house band. And uh, my mum and dad were there. It was my dad's uh, 60th birthday. I brought them over here, got them a hotel on Park Lane. I had more money than cents. Actually, my wife says if I had a dime, I'd have more money than cents. I don't think that's entirely true. <laughs> what do dimes look like? No, it doesn't matter anyway. Anyway, mum and dad were here. And we were backstage and I got to introduce mum and dad to Muddy Waters, who is, as far as I'm concerned, is a musical giant. And one of my favourite records was uh, Muddy Waters at the Newport Jazz Festival 1960, I think. I wore this record out, I've probably had a couple of them. But mum and dad knew who Muddy was. So I introduced my mum and dad to Mr Muddy Waters, Mr Muddy Waters, my mum and dad. And it, no, that was, that was a highlight yeah. because you know, their, their youngest son, who was always a bit of a pain. I think if you don't upset your parents a little bit, like, you haven't really achieved much, have you? <laughs> Just a little bit. I know, I know, I know I was always upsetting mum with something. Dad was a bit cooler about it. Yeah, that was a highlight, meeting Muddy and my parents meeting my uh, musical heroes. How old were you when you started? How old was that? 31. So you were older, you were older. But you always knew you wanted to play drums? Yeah, um, I started on the piano, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, my older brother played piano, my father played piano, like I said before. And uh, I can play a 12 bar blues in the key of C. No, that, that doesn't really work. Most of the guitar players play in A or something else, E. Unless I can transpose. All right, let's, let's change the subject now. We don't want to do that. You, do you play piano, Joanne? Yeah, not well. No? Not well. You should have a piano in there. Yeah, yeah. Then we could, like, you know, sort of duet, maybe. Well, next time. You're only in Long Next time. Island. You're going to invite me back? Of course. This is great. <laughs> maybe next week. <laughs> where's, the, where's the camera? They have the most fantastic chocolate chip cookies here. <laughs> <laughs> Any of you musos out there, you get a chance to come up here. She's really nice. Everybody's really friendly here. And the chocolate chip cookies are like sensational. I love and it. And they offer you champagne. Fantastic. <laughs> so when did you come to the States? How old were you? In? Uh, first time I came here was 1968. 
the end of 68, 69, it felt like coming home. They have a saying in England where, where I come from, it's like taking coals to Newcastle, because you don't take coal to Newcastle, because that's where they dig it up. And like coming to the States was like, you know, really? A bunch of English guys playing the blues, I don't know. The first couple of dates were interesting. I think we were a little nervous actually. But I do recall the first time when we really realized that we had a long way to go. We played up in Boston, the Boston Tea Party was the name of the, the club, 1969. Um, Savoy Brown was on first, second was the Jay Giles Blues Band and they were fantastic. We got to be friends with them uh, uh, later on and played numerous shows with them throughout Savoy Brown and Foghat's history. But headlining the bill was Buddy Guy. We went on and I think, I guess we were okay, but it, you know, we've got mild applause. Jay Garvers came on and they were absolutely incredible. I mean, super tight. And then Buddy Guy came on and the place just erupted. I've got to meet and know Buddy Guy a few times since then. But that first night when I saw him, I said, wow. And we all realized we had a long, long way to go. Actually, it wasn't until two or three weeks later, we were crossing the country driving at a station wagon and we had a van following us with our gear. We got to uh, Detroit and I remember it because up to that point, everybody, we were kind of, it was okay. You know, the band was, we, we could play, but we went to Detroit and we played there and we did three encores. And after that, I think everybody said to themselves, well, all right, we kind of arrived and uh, we got a grip on what, how you had to do it and how you had to play. This is my home. This is my adopted home. I love this country, mainly because of the music that it's given to the world and inspired me, certainly, and hundreds of thousands of other musicians. If we could sort of probably put that kind of joy into everything else that this country does, we'd be really great. We are great anyway, aren't we? Where did the term Great Britain come from? You think the Britons do that? What do you want to call yourselves? Great. <laughs> Let's be called ourselves Great USA. No, Great Britain. Where does that come from? Who came up with that? Well, I'm with you. Um, what other influences? Buddy Guy, who else? Oh, uh, Chuck Berry, obviously. Chuck Berry, right? of course. We'd all be out of work without Chuck Berry. There's a Chuck Berry song on this album. Uh, yes, there is a Chuck Berry song on this album. Um, one of his lesser known ditties. Uh, it's got a real country kind of feel about it. Actually, it started out because we were at the studio down in Florida and I was sitting there talking with Scott Holt and his mother took him to see Elvis Presley when he was young, I guess. I never got to see Elvis, but all Elvis's early stuff on the Sun label, that was just absolutely brilliant. Um, I was probably only about nine or ten when I first heard them. Elvis Presley's early stuff was like was magic. He was probably influenced by the same sort of folks that I was. My father brought home a Jerry D. Lewis single one time when I was, I think it was about 12 years old, just started getting interested in music. And the B-side was a song called uh, Mean Woman Blues. And because dad played piano, he could appreciate a fine piano player. Dad at the time was working at Aston Martins. He was a panel fitter there. Uh, that was in their old place in uh, Felton, which is about two miles from where I lived, grew up. And uh, he said, have a listen to this boy, son. He can really play the Joanna. And I did. And Dad was right. Jerry Lee Lewis can really play the Joanna. So uh, about 
three or four months later, Jerry Lee Lewis, around 1960, I think, came to uh, England. He played in a theatre in southwest London. Dad took me and my best friend Dave and a few other folks, and uh, I was never the same. <laughs> Mum said it addled my brain. I'm not sure what addled brain means, but it addled my brain. I was never the same. It, it just, like Bugs Bunny took a left turn at Albuquerque. I was, I took a left turn somewhere and I saw Jerry Lee Lewis and I heard this rock and roll magic. So uh, yeah, I've, I've been a fan ever since. I've got to see him a couple of times over the years. So uh, a number of times actually over the years. So uh, I got yeah. to see him once. Yeah, did you see him once? One time. Where was that? In um, New Orleans. Oh yeah, wow. A jazz festival? No, it was at uh, the, uh, the Blues Club there, House of Blues. Oh, oh House of Blues, all right. Small, How was small. he? Excellent, amazing. Because right. sometimes he used to do things like, he'd play like three or four songs and he'd go and walk off. Oh. Or, but, uh, but he's been noted to do that. But when he was on, he, would, he just sits there and plays anything and everything he wants. And if he's enjoying himself, look out. He, he, it was magic watching Jerry Lee Lewis. It's all his fault. So then Foghat, how did Foghat come to be? We were in a band called Savoy Brown, the end of 1970, 71. And it was, I think it was time to, to move on. Kim Simmons, who was the lead guitar player in the band, the leader of the band. Lonesome Dave and I decided to leave. Uh, Tony Stevens, the bass player at the time, got fired. But, I mean, he, could, he was a good bass player, but he'd probably transgressed the unwritten law. What's that? We, yeah, what is that? <laughs> well, uh, it's not written down, so we don't know. <laughs> we had a meeting with the manager the following morning, myself and Dave, and uh, we told him that we were leaving, and he said that he would blackball us in England and in, uh, in the States, and we'd never work again. I don't know why he did that, because I always had a good relationship with Kim, and I thought we always did a good job. We did, because had he been bright enough, he would have said, I'll manage you instead of banning us, which he did in England. Uh, he stopped us from working. But we had a couple of folks who uh, really supported us. Derek Taylor, who was the Beatles publicist, took a liking to the band after we got our record deal. And he helped get us some dates. He was working for Warner Brothers, which was the parent company of uh, Bearsville Records, our record label. So we did, like, uh, we did some tours with Captain Beefheart in England, did a few club dates and some other things that I shouldn't really talk about. Uh, met George Harrison, that was a highlight. I met a Beatle and I, I met Ringo in a, an elevator one time. I think it was a lift, I think it might have been in England. But that's it, that's yeah, my only claim to sort of real fame. <laughs> you're so <laughs> modest. And just this morning, you're named uh, one of the top 10 blues drummers of all time, finally, right? <laughs> and you're so modest. I think, like I said it earlier, you stick around long enough and people t start taking notice. They say, is he still here? He's still like wailing away on the drums. <laughs> yes. Uh, and he's been glued together with <laughs> duct tape and like band-aids. Everything's working. Uh, it's working just fine. Working just fine. I used to dance as well. Really? Yeah, well, most drummers should be able to dance, I think. I mean, yeah, I guess you have you know, to got to have a natural sense of rhythm. I used to love dancing. Actually, the reason I, I used to like dancing, my older brother, Colin, his first wife, when he, when he was his girlfriend, she was 
two years older than me. And so like when you're like 13 or 14 years old and you've got this fabulous looking blonde 16 year old and you're dancing with her, it's like, doesn't get much cooler than that. <laughs> so uh, she is my sister still, even though my brother, the divorced, she is my sister. Mm. It's the only sister I've got really. Actually, you're a sister. No, no, you're the Holy Trinity, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> There's a song on here, I don't appreciate you. Are you gonna say don't that? Don't appreciate the way you walk, don't appreciate the way you talk. I don't appreciate your self-entitled attitude. I don't appreciate you. I'm not singing this to you. You seem like a really fine young woman. Now that's, uh, actually I came up with the title and some of the basic lyrics. Um, actually it was inspired by our old manager, ex-manager. I'm sure some of you have had like a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you didn't like too much or a politician or two uh, that you're not very keen on. So it's basically about that. But at, Scott describes it as the most polite F.U. song out there. <laughs> I don't appreciate the way you walk, the way you talk. That's uh, good. Yeah. Very aggressive. Okay. And you're touring. Where are you headed to next? Gary, or is it Bobby? Who cares? Just say The hard rock in Gary, Indiana. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you Indianans out there. I'm poking fun at you. It's horrible, isn't it? Well, I'm in New York City. It's a real city. Wrote Fool for the City about this town, actually. We wrote the song Fool for the City about no, New course. York City. Yeah, yeah. Fool for the City. Yeah. We were missing it. We were stuck in a, on a mountaintop in Sharon, Vermont. And that's, that inspired it. Yeah, New York City is the greatest city in the world. I've been to a few of them and... Uh, Though, Barcelona's nice, and so is Madrid. That's a pretty nice place as well, isn't it? I've never been there. New Orleans, though. You've been there? Yes. That's a fabulous town, isn't it? Yes, it really is. Actually, there's a lot of fabulous places to go. Actually, Louisiana is sort of like a different country, isn't it, really? Or should I say New Orleans is like a different country? Yeah. It is, isn't it? That's fabulous. That's where I saw the killer. All right, so your fans, you have a loyal fan base, but I'd say old fans and new fans because of, you know, Guitar Hero and you're in the movie, one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, what was that? Da uh, Days and Confused, yes. I've been ride. in a bunch of movies, uh, the soundtrack. Even shows. And TV shows too, uh, yeah. It's fun. great. Actually, our fans usually know, take note when we're in a sitcom or somewhere they played one of our songs. It's great. It's, uh, you know, we're a rock and roll band and... Rock and roll is here to stay. There's a song in there somewhere. I think somebody already did that. It's fantastic. I remember we did Guitar Hero. At the time, I remember like young kids, like, they bring their plastic guitars for us to sign. Six, seven, eight, nine year olds. It was like, that's really cool. And in films and car commercials, uh, hamburger commercials, no, I mean, it's great. You can't like pay for that kind of publicity. In fact, they usually give you some money. Never enough. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I bet. No, it's, it's great. It, it keeps it out there. And I also think if you get it right, and the songs that the band has recorded since the beginning, it was always the band who decided what songs we were doing. A producer is a fifth member of the band. They help sort of you guide you. But nobody told us what to do. Occasionally they did. And I remember... Dave and I saying, no, we're not going to do that. Some, so they wanted us to do uh, a Bad Company song. They said, why would we want to do that? Bad Company is one of the best bands out there. 
And why would we want to copy one of their songs? We'll play it, you know, uh, quietly, but we don't want to do a bad company song. I mean, they, they've already done it and they're, you can't improve on them. They're one of my favorite bands, actually. We've done a number of shows together. And Paul Rogers is probably one of the greatest sort of English singers that have ever come out of there. But um, where was I? Um, we're talking about Guitar Hero. And oh, the, right. The yeah. young fans. Do you, when you go out and play... Can I have some more champagne, please? Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> uh, lightweight. Yeah, no, I mean, no, uh, adverts and all that stuff. Uh, we were in a car commercial. Oh, was it? They didn't give us a minivan, but it was on a minivan. And uh, oh. a Honda, yeah, Honda Odyssey. <laughs> A lot, a lot. Yeah. But uh, do you think when you're playing, there, are the new fans receptive to your new stuff? I know when I've heard other bands or bands that have been around for a while and, and they play a new song on stage, I can't remember a time where I've gone, uh, said, wow, that's really good. It's like, I don't know. Why did they do that? They ruined the whole evening. <laughs> so, I don't think yeah. they would do that here because it sounds like, you know, it sounds like Foghat. We're, we're actually so playing three songs in our set. Our set went from an hour and 15 minutes. We're doing an hour and 45 now, if we're allowed. And we're playing three songs from the new album. Um, Just three. Yeah, but, and also because we can. And it seems to be working. The fans seem to love it. And... They seem to tolerate us sort of uh, <laughs> having fun. Um, you know, and we've made, this is our 17th studio album, and we've made numerous live records. Uh, probably a, a live record from 77 was probably our biggest selling record. But Foghat's always been a, a live band. We could always play. I mean, that's, we can play. And, and though, you know, we've had a number of people in the band and, and a number of people have passed on. But it's all about the music. It's all about, you know, rock and roll, blues. I mean, it's, that's what we play with a little bebop on the side just for good measure and maybe a little bit of country, a little bit of jazz. Yeah. It's so no, um, it's music. And I also think one of the reasons this band has had such longevity is there was always a passion. Everybody who's been in this band has been passionate about it. Our original lead singer, Lonesome Dave, was very passionate about music. Very quiet, but he had the most incredible record collection. He was also, I think, a closet drummer. He knew every single drummer that was on every record, every blues record, every jazz record, every rock and roll record. He said, that was so-and-so, Rog, really? Here's a quick story. We're playing in Chicago, but we have a couple of days off. So Dave didn't drive, so I was the driver. I think I drove that night. Maybe we took a cab. <laughs> anyway, we went to a, a club in Chicago. I think it was called Mother Blues. And we walk in there and we, give, we pay the $3 for, yeah, back in the day. All right, three bucks, not 300. Jeez, that's awful, isn't it, what they charge now? Anyway, uh, I digress. So I go in there and we pay the dollars. So I go off to the right, to the bar. I get myself a cognac and a white wine for Dave. I go back and Dave's still standing at the door like this, looking at the stage. You okay, Dave? He said, yeah, do you know who that is on drums? Roger, I said, I look over and I go, no, who is that, Dave? He said, that's Freddie Bilo. Now, I knew who Freddie Bilo was. You probably don't, do you? He played on so many records and inspired so many people. He was chess records, house drummer, basically. Chuck Berry's drummer, all the stuff that Willie Dixon did, or most of it anyway. 
and he was an inspiration to us. So Dave and I wander around there and uh, they're, they're taking a break. So we go up and like, we, you know, we want to shake hands with greatness. And he looks at us and he goes, tall guy, and he says, you guys want to get up and play? And we go, yeah. Oh. So we played for the oh. next hour or more and oh. Freddie went to the bar and had a few drinks. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I've been fortunate that way that I've met a lot of my musical heroes and that's really one of the cool yeah, parts about traveling. Yeah. yeah. Who do you think is good of today? Any drummers that you particularly think are good? Drummers? As far as playing drums, I always played for the song, for want for a better word. You know, I play in a band. I mean, I, I've done drum solos and they're fun, you know, they make some noise and crash and bang and kick. But I play for the band. I play for the song, the singer, the lead guitar player. Actually, there's a cool one. Our old bass player, uh, Craig McGregor, said to me one time, he said, hey, Rog, he said, we lay the road out for them to travel on, the guitar players and singers. So I thought that was pretty cool. But it's true, you know, that's part of our job that we sit, we play there. And actually, Brian Bassett said to me one time, or he was talking to somebody, I think I overheard it, and I said, I like that. He said, playing music is like having a conversation with people. With me, it's sort of loud. But it is, that's what you're doing when you have a band. That's what this band does. We have conversations with each other and I love what I do. I'm so fortunate I play in a band. The guys I play with, we're, we're bandmates. Nobody moans. You know, sometimes we'll, uh, just because of the way that flights are, you know, if you get from, to get from A to B, you've got to take three flights and, and you might not get there until seven o'clock at night and you're playing at four. So. Sometimes we have to drive, you know, three, four, five hundred miles overnight in a van or a sprinter or something. Nobody moans. Everybody says, I'll drive. No, I want to drive. No, 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 let me drive. We actually, we share the driving, but I'm fortunate with the guys I play with because they're, they're bandmates. It shows, it does. And the business has changed so much. You guys engineered this, you produce it, you have your own label. Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing, and different thing how the music business has changed? I think music has to change anyway. It shouldn't stay the same. You know, as much as, uh, you know, it, it's fun and it's probably nice, you know, selling millions of records, but actually vinyl's come back, which is really yes. cool. We have purple vinyl, somewhere between these two, I think. It shouldn't stay the same, and music should change. I think, you know, different generations have their own songs, their own, like, noise, their own beats, want for a better word, their own lyrics, you know, stuff that is a moment in time for them when you're growing up, you know, when you're a teenager, when you're 20, or when even when you're 30. That's what music's about. It's a moment in time when you, it reminds you of stuff, I think. I think I've broadened my outlook and taste as far as music goes. Sometimes when I'm on the plane, they'll have a movie that I've seen two or three times, and so I'll put on the uh, classical stations and click on them and, uh, and put my cans on and I'm like, wow, there's some beautiful sounds out there that you haven't heard before. Yeah, that part of music I, I enjoy, like there's lots of new places to hear stuff. There's, there's actually, there's a couple of bands uh, I've heard in recent times. It was a band, uh, Empty Pockets. They were like, uh, I think they're out of Chicago somewhere. We met them through some, somebody else and they had their, all their gear stolen. So I gave them some equipment that I had just laying around, wasn't using it. 
then I got to listen to their music. And this band's really good. Music, it's great. Um, I'm so fortunate to be in it. What inspires you as an artist? Music does. A friend of mine gave me a new record player. The one that Linda and I had was in a corner, crumpled up. We only li we live in a very small house, it's a houseboat. And so it gets crowded. But Scott Holt, he has a, a record store in uh, Columbia, Tennessee. And for my birthday, he bought me a record player and a couple of records as well. And it was like a real revelation because I hadn't really sat down and listened to vinyl in a number of years. Just got busy, I guess. But it was a real revelation putting record. Actually, the first record I played on it was a Johnny Cash record. I've always been a Johnny Cash fan. Ooh that was one of the joys of growing up as well, when listening to records. I remember we would sit around the record player and, you know, if any time we got a new record, we'd sit and listen to it, like two or three people, maybe more sometimes. That part of listening to music, I think some people like miss out on. I guess that's one of the joys of like going to like to festivals and shows and stuff. Like, you know, there's a camaraderie there. Listening to vinyl records, sitting there with two or three people and like turning it up and like pushing some air in the room and you go, yeah, this is, this is, this is why we're here. <laughs> that I think a lot of people miss out on with like wandering around with their buds in their ears, which is another way to listen, I guess. You know, there was a time when I think they tried to put sort of vinyl record players in cars. That didn't work very well, did it? CDs, I thought CDs were actually brilliant in cars. Now they've yeah. stopped putting them in cars. I remember the big eight-track tapes and... Yeah, oh, they were horrible though. <laughs> yeah, they No, have, they, they used they to get eaten. <laughs> eaten. Yeah. You get... Also, the worst part about the eight-track tapes was that the song, they would go... And then, then it would finish the song like a few seconds later or a half a moment later or maybe even 30 <laughs> seconds. Then you'd hear the end of the song. It's like, no. That's not your, how you're supposed to listen to music. Uh, yeah, and just, now it's all on these, just this tiny little thing you go, and you have 500 of your favorite songs. Maybe in some ways things do get better. Maybe. All right, drummers of today. You didn't really have any. Drummers of today, you think you're good? Drummers love to share their knowledge. It's like, yeah, you have a, you have a no, no, drummers just like will sit down and like talk to other drummers. I love playing with another drummer. In fact, no, 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 no that's not allowed. We can't have two drummers in Foghat. We, we actually do have a percussionist <laughs> who is actually a drummer, Eddie Lafave. He's also a percussionist. He's my drum tech and really good friend too. Drummers like just share the knowledge. You know, guitar players will say, you can't see what I'm playing. <laughs> drummers say, ah, yeah, you, you know this one? Yeah, of course, there's a bunch of great drummers out there. Drummers that have changed the world, you know, Buddy Rich, of course, Louis Belson, John Bonham. I mean, he was an incredible drummer. He, he turned the whole world around, the drum world. I mean, he started playing stuff and people were going, what is he doing with his feet? I can't do that. And then Ginger Baker, probably, he, he's another one who turned things on its head for actually playing in a band when he played in Cream. I met him before that when he was 
when I was growing up in London. I did some shows with him with the first band I was in. But it's like those two drummers, Ginger, John Bonham. In fact, I, I met John Bonham's son the other day, Jason. He was, play, he was playing with Sammy Hagar. I hadn't seen Sammy in how long? 30? 45 years? No, it's only 30. And wow, the, Sammy Hagar has, has put the most incredible band together. They were just absolutely brilliant. I had a blast. And actually, we went there as guests of George Thorogood. We only had to drive an hour and a half there, but some real rock and roll. I mean, that's not very far at all, is it? So George Thorogood and Sammy Hagar. But Sammy's band was just fantastic. And Sammy was playing and singing. He's, what, 76, I think? But Jason Bonham, wow, the kid could play. I didn't get a chance to really hang out too much. It was like moments before they were going on stage and I went in and I asked Sammy, I said, Sammy, can I meet your drummer? Because I knew his dad, of course, but he was fantastic. Jason was like a monster. Wow. He was just, that's a great drummer. You're 77 and you're in great, ah! you're in, <laughs> you're in great shape. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you do? How do you sing? I, uh, I married a younger woman, playing drums in a rock and roll band. You, uh, do you do anything it. else but play drums? What else do you do? Uh, I, I walk, I, ex I don't run anymore. The knees don't like it that much. I ran pretty much all my life up until about 20 odd years ago. The knees just said things like, excuse me, what do you think you're doing? But I exercise, I work out with like weights when I can. I practice most days on a pad and I have pedals everywhere. An electronic Hi. drum kit upstairs. I have my other drum kit out in the shed out in the garden. I have a practice pad. I shouldn't really tell them, should I? Should I tell them? I'm allowed to have a practice pad in the bedroom. Did I marry well or what? <laughs> yes. That's usually because Linda is working downstairs. That's the only time I do it. So you do have to practice, though. Uh, yeah, no, I, it's up here you're, you're, with arrangements. You, you're remembering stuff that comes out your hands and your feet. If you're not, or if I'm not on top of my game and I can't sort of transfer all this stuff out in, in, you know, into playing, the real thing is you, have, you enjoy it. When you're on top of stuff and everything, you can play well. That's when the real joy comes. It's easy. And everything you think about and feel comes out and flows you know tempos are cool everything's like right you hear everybody that's the magic of music do you ever get nervous when you go on stage when i'm on stage no no not at all before i walk out especially if well even if there's 500 or 50,000, yeah i do get a little it's like chills you get like these tingling things <laughs> and the four of us always like we have a thing where we get together before we go on stage but as soon as I count the first song off, it's fine. Everything's fine. And we always make sure that we have a real sound check. Uh, that's no guarantee that everything will work fine. I'm one of those fortunate people in this world. I get to earn a living at doing something I love. And your wine business. Wine. We, uh, we were playing at the Mid-California State Fair. We did two shows there, somewhere around 2006, 2007, somewhere around there anyway. We played there for two nights, and one of the nights, a winemaker called Steve Rasmussen came to see us. He used to work for Tally Vineyards. He used to make wine for them, excellent wines. And he sent an email to our manager, to Linda, and said, we think Falcat would be a great name for wine. And I started giggling and said, that would be great. Linda said, I'm really busy at the moment. 
But we went out to California and we met with Steve and he took us to a whole bunch of different wineries, farmers, you know, introduced us to the folks that make wine and people that pick the grapes. It was fantastic. Everybody was really friendly. Do you want something to eat? Do you want something to drink? And the people who pick the fruit, the grapes, I mean, these people work super hard. It's still dark when most of them are actually picking the fruit and because once it gets hot, apparently that's not a good time to pick grapes. But the one thing I took from it at the, at the beginning, and, and Linda felt the same as well, these people were like very genuine and honest about what's going on. They would talk about if there's a, some kind of blight on the grapes, they would share the knowledge with each other. And if something was going really well, they would share that knowledge. We found that very refreshing. We send people bottles of wine now instead of like the old days people would sort of you know send cocaine and money but no we send a bottle of wine I think which is a bit better. So yeah. am I gonna get like a case of wine? Yeah. Or <laughs> I mean sending somebody a bottle or two of wine is like it's a nice way to be out to say thank you as well. Where does one get the wine? Where is it sold? Falkat Cellars go to falkat.com that all things wine, everything you know, buy T-shirts and records and all that stuff. Uh, Falkat.com. Falkat Cellars is the wine brand. We have a 2014 Chardonnay from Central Coast of California at the moment. 2013 Pinot Noir from the Central Coast. That's all. The COVID nightmare kind of put a stop on most of it. And actually, we've been really busy with the record. On our last trip out to the West Coast, we were in Oregon. We were talking to some people there about maybe making some more wine, but that's for the future. I'm really busy at the moment. Just a little. <laughs> I might be able to get my wife and girlfriend back, actually. <laughs> Foghat, and who came up with the name Foghat? Lonesome Dave, our original lead singer, uh, came up with the name. In fact, we were actually going into, we finished the record. They'd taken a picture of us outside the studio where we were recording in Rockfield, Wales. We still hadn't decided on the name. And I think that, as I recall it anyway, that was, uh, we were driving into London. I was driving, Dave was with me and Rob Price, our guitar player. And what were we going to call ourselves? We had some names, but we didn't like any of them. I mean, how do you, what do you pick a name? How are you going to call yourself? Dave came up with the name. It was something he made up as a, like a Scrabble game when he was playing with his younger brother. It came up, we said, okay, fog hat. What does it mean? Some people think there are like sort of drug connotations to it, but nothing about that. that nothing to do with drugs or anything like that. We don't do drugs anymore. But you did back then. You're all like, slow run. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what you think, right? Actually, actually before we played, it's just a rule. We don't imbibe with anything other than water and coffee, or if you want to eat but we don't do anything. Except when before. he comes here. No, be, before, yeah, work. right. Well, we're not playing. We're off now. Before we play, we don't. Uh, I, I have played with a couple of hangovers and that's no fun at all. Not anymore. No, the music is enough. Afterwards, you know, we know how to have fun. We're a rock and roll band, but before we get up and play, you know, playing music is like, uh, we are, uh, I don't know, we're in rarefied air. I mean, we actually earn a living doing something we really enjoy. In fact, I don't think I've said this today, but we were playing El Dorado in Arkansas. 
and it was, they were a terrific audience. And afterwards, we're sitting backstage, and Scott and I are having a glass of wine. And Scott says to me, he says, he says isn't this great, Rog? He said, how many jobs do you have where when you've finished working, people stand up and cheer and clap for you? <laughs> they don't. Yeah. In most, most jobs, people will go, oh, I don't think you did a really good job here. Uh, you're fired. No, people stand up and clap. I mean, that's a really good job. We get paid as well. Actually, I don't get paid, but that's all right. That's fantastic. No one's ever said that. Well, Scott Holt came up with that one. He understands the finer things in life. What is your greatest life advice since this is life minute? Get, get a job that you really like. Is there limited jobs as drummers, though, or percussionists? They have a lot of fun, though their hands, I don't know how they do it. Playing congas, I have a great deal of respect for percussionists. You know, they play all this really cool stuff. And then they go, and they've got the claws. I play percussion, but, you know, and I play congas and all that stuff on records, but it's like limited. I mean, how many run-throughs can you do? One. What's something you want to do that you haven't done yet? What's next for you? I don't know. There's probably a few rivers I haven't fished in. I want to keep doing this for as long as I can and as long as I enjoy it. And as long as people keep turning up to see Foghat, we'll keep making music. Making music okay. is like, it's like the icing on the cake. Playing live is really what this band's about. But actually getting a chance to sort of be creative, that's the reason you become a musician. First of all, you're a fan, you listen to music, and you get it here. I mean, all musicians are like that. It, you know, you don't say, oh, I'm going to do this. It, you listen to music and go, well, I want to do that. And that was how it was with me, I think. But doing something, oh, I think I've done most of it. I've done 175 miles an hour in a car. Life is good. I'm happy. I have three beautiful daughters. I have a granddaughter. I have a bunch of step-grandkids who are really, really cool. I miss my children. I miss my daughters because they've grown, they're grown. We talk, in fact, we talked with middle one last night, Jessica, because it was Linda's birthday a few days ago. She sent a fabulous present of, of pictures. It was a book with pictures, photographs, that, and I said to Linda, I said, we have to call her now. I said, it's a bit late. No, we call her. And it was, of course, it was terrific. Uh, Where are they? Are they? The, well, my oldest daughter lives in England. Uh, so when did you guys move here? Came, been coming here since 69. I moved here in 73, got my green card in 75 or 76, I think. And one daughter's in England. Where are the other two? In Georgia. Middle daughter Jessica lives in Savannah. And Juliet, our youngest daughter, lives in Poulan, Georgia. She got married a few years ago. Super nice guy. It's what you want your daughters to marry somebody who's a really super nice guy and is going to love them no matter what. Because they can be a little bit, you know. <laughs> Girls, <laughs> yes, you want them to be happy, and the, and they are. They are an absolute joy. I don't see them anywhere as near as I would like. They used to come on the road with me as well. That was fun. Really, you yeah. all did. They all knew Linda. Uh, like my, when my uh, oldest daughter would come over and stay with me, for, she, uh, my first wife is in England. She would stay with me, and Linda would babysit her. So 
we're all uh, we're all related. So wow, so they came on the road. That's so neat. Yeah. Oh. Um, that was no. I think they enjoyed it. My oldest daughter would come on the road with me when she would come over and stay with me. We used to take her to festivals when we were in England, and my two other daughters over here, Jessica and Juliet, would come on the road. And the, on the, they would take over the back lounge on the bus. Of course, you know we would be up late and be sleeping, and then the bus driver would pull up to the hotel, and he would get donuts and chocolate milk for them. They were very Aww. pleased about that. <laughs> Health food. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Anything else that you want to tell us that we didn't cover? No, I think we covered a lot, I don't want you to go. Lot, I want you to stay Thank all you. afternoon. <laughs> Thank you. You're a so, beautiful, wonderful person. What Thank a you. joy having you here. A uh, I've enjoyed honor. it, Joanne. It's been great. Yay. Yay. Roger Earl, Sonic Mojo out November 10th. Thank you. Congratulations. To see more of this interview, visit our website, lifeminute.tv. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Life Minute TV.